right, welcome everybody. Today's podcast is going to be, it's going to focus on philanthropy and really how it benefits both the professionals that, that use the tools and the families that they serve. Um, my guest today is Marty Dutch, who I've known for quite a while. Uh, she's the director of philanthropy services at First Foundation Company. That, or First Foundation is a bank? A bank, wealth management, and trust company. And trust company, okay, down in Orange County. She's also the uh, president of the International Association of Advisors in Philanthropy, also known as AIP, for those of us who that's way too long of, of a term for. So welcome, Marty. It's good to see you again, uh, or talk to you, I Thank guess. The real you, I'm the only one that can see you right now. Um, just to give a little background, I first met Marty, I don't even want to say how many years ago, many years ago when she was coming mm -hmm. out of marketing and wanted to work with real people. And so she went to work for us uh, at the Heritage Institute as regional director. And so while she was working with the advisors in, in that, in, as part of the Heritage Institute, she was also taking the training so she could do what she wanted to do and went to work then for First Foundation uh, and, and ended up in the philanthropy area. Uh, and I know your, your title is um, Director of Philanthropy Services. I have no idea what that actually means. So what is a Director of Philanthropy Services? Um, well, you know, it's a vice president director of oh. because, you know, ba banks love to give lots of titles. So yeah. I don't, you know, I, none of it makes sense to me, but we, it's, it's a unique position at, in the size of firm that we are, because there's five of us that focus on philanthropy. Okay. And so it shows up in different ways. So we manage family foundations and do all the back office for families will work with families or individuals that are just beginning their philanthropic. Like, I know I got to do something, but I don't know how to do this or, you know, how should I do it? Should it be a donor advised fund or a foundation or just writing checks? So, you know, and then who would I give to? So it's a kind of fascinating to me how many people are paralyzed at that point because they go, I don't know where to give. And, and that's why we have so many churches and um, universities that end up with a lot of money because the advisor at that point usually says, well, where'd you go to school and where do you go to church? And that's how those decisions get made. So I like to go a little deeper, not that they don't deserve that money, but I think we can, we can do a much a better conversation about it. And then uh, the other aspect of my role that has been a lot of fun is that I have a, uh, a deep experience in philanthropy. And so I am leveraged to go into the community and provide pro bono consulting to nonprofits on behalf of the, of the bank, which has resulted in the last nine years, I've worked with over 160 nonprofits. So if you can imagine dropping in, yeah. you know, uncovering pain points and putting a solution together for the fan, for the nonprofit, it's been a, that's been a fun ride that, helps me be a better consultant to the families right because i understand where the money's going so deeply that and i've seen that some people we shouldn't be giving money to and so i'm really passionate about shifting the narrative around philanthropy that that those assets should be treated just like their portfolio that we really need to research and vet and make sure that those assets are being deployed in the best and highest use because if the organization is not sustainable, your your assets just you know it's not staying in the in the ecosystem. So yeah. it's it's been a fun ride. I, I really enjoy doing it. And my son Ryan used to talk with the investors and say, "Okay, you're investing in philanthropy or you're investing in the market. It's the same thing. <laughs> you know, it should take the same it, background stuff." It's exactly 
So um, <clears throat> then you're also president of AIP, like I said before. Mm -hmm. And um, I first got involved with AIP years ago when I was first starting to do this, when you're like probably a teenager. And uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Just, there weren't any places really to go for advisors. There were lots of organizations for fundraisers and things like that, but not for advisors. And then I think it was Paul Brooks and Randy Fox got me involved in AIP. And it was a mix. There's both the philanthropy people in there. I mean, the fundraisers and stuff and the advisors, <clears throat> hence the name advisors and philanthropy. I, I, there was a merger, I guess, years ago that got that. And so I've spoken yeah. a bunch of times and then I was on the board. And I think when I was on the board, I nominated you to be on the board and we were together for a little bit. And then by the time I got off, then, then you became president. Um, I found it was different just because it did have both sides. I mean, you know, and there was a lot and and frankly, it's one of those organizations where when I'd go to the conferences, I'd learn as much at lunch and dinner and in the hallways as I did in the conference, just from the people, right. the community and the people. So <clears throat> talk a little bit about AIP and what its mission is and you know, where you see it going. It, it's a completely voluntary organization, which is fascinating. You know, we have one part-time admin person. So... The board of directors that signs up at the national level is a really unique tribe of people because they really care about philanthropy. And I've, it's probably my most fun board I've ever served on because um, everybody is all in right now. I mean, sleeves up really uh, into it, which makes it a lot of fun. The, the mission aligns with what I care about, which was my personal mission when I went through my quest journey to figure out what I was going to do with the second half of my life. I came up with a mission statement for myself that said, it doesn't sound like a mission, the words are weird, but just stay with me. So it was, I believe that if high net worth people really understood the impact of giving their money away both on the organization, but more importantly, their own family, I think they would give more. It's a weird sentence, but what I saw in the boards that I was serving on, and especially one in Orange County, which was the Orangewood Children's Foundation, I was sitting with the most elite in Orange County, the, the, you know, what you would define as the successful leaders that you know, have really done well. And I was so fascinated by them because they were unique in that they, on this board, they impacted with their wallet, but they really were committed. You know, they were researching foster care and learning about it and how do we solve this problem and leveraging all of their high net worth connections to try and change the foster care system in Orange County. And they've done some amazing things. But I sat back and I thought, okay, here's this, you know, maybe 25 to 30 of them, but where's the rest of them? Like, where, you know, are we getting all of them? And I had this angst, like, if they understood how much fun this really is, the other people would want in too. And so I don't think we're selling it well enough to, to say, look, I, you don't wanna go at this, at, everyone's so worried about sounding selfish, but when I watch this group of people leverage where they are in life, they're, connections, their talent, their wallet, all of that, it can change the world. But, but we're not doing a good job of bringing others in with us. And so it was clear to me that I wanted to be in that space, you know, 
connecting super crazy smart successful people with philanthropy and uh aip for me is that solution because our target market which um trust me the organization has gone through you know it's those check-in questions like who are we and who's our target market right in a in a jungle of associations you know estate planning and financial planners and everything so our focus is on the three professions wealth management cpas and attorneys and we're specific about that because we want to provide education so that they will feel empowered and inspired to work this into their everyday all the time planning with their clients and the second layer of that is as as you know rod we've got to have a collaborative community because you can't no one can do that gift by themselves right like pick any one of those the, those three they can't do it by themselves the attorney needs a cpa and the cpa needs a wealth manager through so all three of them need to be there so that's the first layer and that's so that's our focus but when i say who shows up it's those three plus super smart philanthropy planners because they know they're they're finding the people who care about this and are talking right. about it super smart development officers and nonprofit leaders because these people have already drunk the kool-aid and then we have foundation directors come in the biggest growth we've had at the last conference when i did the analytics was philanthropy advisors which i think that group is growing at an exponential rate yeah. that there's so many people going into that but it was a very long answer to your question no and that's you know and philanthropic advisors are kind of a new world i mean that's not like it is when when, when i started out that was not a term you would hear <laughs> you know and no and i probably field a, a question a month from someone who finds me on linkedin and says you know i do this but i want to do what you do how did you do it yeah and so you know it's a growing profession when that's happening so. right right and um okay so when you think about i mean you, you kind of hit on the head I and mean, you know if we can get the people to understand it's not just about writing checks to build a building you know it's about what impact do you want to make in the world and then how how does that impact your your kids and stuff and the people who are really good at this i mean we were just talking a little bit about go about dan garrett who's a abilene christian and he was telling the story about when he was at a, a Baptist hospital that he was raising money for, and they had a bunch of Jewish doctors. And, and they all go, we're not going to give any money to the university. He goes, I don't care. What do you want to do? And he helped them plan because mm -hmm. that's what he does. You know? <laughs> you know? and, and he said, I did all these plans. I didn't give anything. But a lot of those Jewish doctors knew other Baptists. You know? <laughs> and, you know, and he said, but really, it was all about if I you're can, rising all boats, right? What's that? You're rising all boats. You're rising all boats. That yeah. kind of posture. Yeah. If I can help them, you know, and and uh, uh, when we wrote the book back in the day with being minus curse, and Perry and I were doing it, we found that that uh, and Perry at that point had raised about almost a billion and a half in planned gifts and stuff for the Boy Scouts, but almost six billion for other nonprofits because that was his mo i mean it was you know we know you were most of our donors work with 6a charities we just want to be on the list we you know we're not saying you should do this just for us you know and and that really is and that's the the mentality you have to have and i i love i was working with a, a donor one time and and his his comment was and he was a 
He's one of these guys that's the chairman of pretty much every charity in their neighborhood, right? And he said, when the, when the charities understand to focus on my need to give rather than their need to get, they're going to get a lot more out of me. Because now it's... That's the shift, Rod. I mean, that's, that's it yeah. right there. Right. And um, it, it comes home to play so often. When I'm, so I, I have the pleasure of training a lot of boards and doing board retreats. And so in that space, first, you know, I have to help them understand what they signed up for. Cause quite often it's, you know, a buddy who says, Hey, come on this board with me. It's going to be fun. And you only meet once a month. It's not that much work, you know? And then they, they, we're losing a lot of people because we're dropping them into this new system that they don't understand. And it's like business, but it's not. Right. And it's, how, how, what's my role in this space? And so I, when I'm training boards, I say, okay, we have to take, look at this differently. And, and I always say the posture I take in this space is that I am the evangelist for the nonprofit sector, because I believe if I meet you and I get you connected to philanthropy in some way, it's going to change your life. Mm -hmm. The organization is going to benefit for sure. But I really approach it is that if I don't talk to you about it, you're going to miss out. Like, this is this is a life changing, you know, decision. And I think that there's so many people sitting on the sidelines because they don't know how to. No one's being a sherpa to help them come in. And so we've got to have these conversations to say, okay, I help me understand where your best and highest use is. So I became a strengths certified uh, Gallup strengths coach, because okay. if I can connect them to their strengths in doing the work in the nonprofit, I'll have them forever. Right. Because once I make that connection and the example that, that I always use is, you know, if someone said to me, um, Hey, we want you on the, this board, Marty, we want you to be on the event committee. We're going to plan a gala. I said yes to that one time. And then I realized, because I love the organization and I kind of didn't know what I was signing up for. And I ended up in a room where people were spending 30 minutes talking about the napkin colors that were going to be at the gala. And I thought I was going to lose my mind. I mean, I, I couldn't, I can't do it. That's not my skill set. I want the room to be beautiful, but I, I, I can't do it. But if they understood me and understood how I'm wired, they would have said, do you want to be in the strategy planning for the organization? Because I could sit through a four hour meeting and still think I'm having fun right. because on my strengths list, it's, you know, strategic is number one and, you know, activators number two. And so we've got to connect the talent and the strengths to the work because they won't think they're working. But more importantly, if we focus on that, the wallet will follow. Right. Because they're engaged. So it helps the board members to readjust to say, just like what you said, like if we focus on them, then, and we've got to go at it with a, a abundance posture because, you know, if I uncover, if I'm on the board, like I'm on the, I'm a chairwoman of Anaheim YMCA. So, you know, I'm always looking like, right. you know, and I'm, I'm on the board of the safe families. Okay. Who am I going to, you know, it's like, to me, it's matchmaking. But if you tell me you want to save puppies, I can't shove you into the YMCA bucket. Right. It's not, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to be your best and highest use, but how do I help you find a, a shelter and a 
dog walking service or, you know, organization that is saving puppies and connect you there because it'll come back to me too, um, eventually, if we have that abundance mentality. Yeah. And, and so much of you kind of touched on it. So much of the time for the, for the people, the donors, they get introduced to philanthropy as a tax tool. You want to give money to the government? You want to give money to philanthropy? And that's like, well, who do I give to? I mean, I have no idea, right? Um, and uh, and that's, to me, those are the people that it's like, okay, if I can get them going, you don't know what's going to happen. I, I had one guy that was a retired colonel out of the Marines, and he was in uh, procurement. So he bought things for the Marines, right? And we figured out, this is years ago, and I think he had like $400,000 tax he was going to have to pay. And, and I said, okay, so here's the deal. Um, you can either write a check for 400,000 in tax or you can give money to philanthropy and we can work you know, around there. And he goes, I don't give money now. I don't give, you know, I've never given money. I don't give money now. I'm not gonna give money to anybody. I don't do charity. I said, okay. And I said, well, then you're gonna use the default charity which is the IRS and let Congress decide where that $400,000 is gonna go. And he got really quiet and he goes, $400,000. That's about two toilet seats and a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. He goes, let's talk philanthropy. And I said, so yeah. what do you like? And it took a while to get him to even think about anything. So he he we did the planning, and it, that plan was it was planned gifts because we were trying to do his estate tax, and put some people in there, and they got him involved a little bit. And it was like two three years later, he came back and goes, okay, now what can I do currently? Not when I die, but what can I do currently to help these people? And it was all because it was no longer just a tax thing or he wasn't giving money to charity. He was investing in the things that were important to him. And that was the shift for him. Cause he was saying, I'm giving money away or I'm investing. And I said, you're doing both. I mean, you're, you know, you're not right. giving it away. You're investing either way, you know? And that was for him, huge difference. Well, well, and bless his heart because I'm always encouraging people, you know, if they, if they were saying, well, I have it set up uh, as a bequest, you know, the, the yeah, YMCA yeah. is going to get my money, for example. It was so awesome because, you know, bequests have, have kept the sector alive, right? Um, but how about starting now? Because what's going to happen is you're never going to feel the joy of that gift going. Right. And, and at this point in your life, you know, what does your community look like? How do you, you know, this can open up social social things um connections to people you know if you serve on committees or boards people notice when you're not there you know you you become part of something and whether you're at the tail end or in the beginning when my husband and i started we were on a young professionals board together and um we part of the organization was our target demographic meant we were going to throw some rager parties which we did and i mean parties were tickets were getting scalped because people wanted in these parties so bad i mean it was crazy so you know um we just had a great time but for us at that point in our lives raising kids those were our date nights you know that was when i got to go get a new dress and you know there's nothing better than walking into this event that we helped produce and my now new tribe of friends are all there and I, so I'm enjoying myself. I've created a new community and it's all going to do good. I mean, it just, it's like tied up in a bow who wouldn't want some of that. But those are the parts that, unless we tell those stories to show people what that looks like, but we got to stay with them a while because right. I, I see so many boards where, you know, I'm watching the activity and I'm thinking, wait a minute, you 
bought and sold two companies. You're president of such and such, you know, dynamics over there and you're, and you're not talking. Like, how is it you're sitting on the sideline? But it's weird that in this space, sometimes they don't know what they're supposed to do. Right. You know, so we've got to really engage them to get them going and stay with them until you see that they're locked in. You know, and the other place that we find a lot <clears throat> is philanthropy is a huge training tool for the next generation. Particularly if there's, you know, you know if they're dealing with a fund of money, they're not going to spend on themselves anyway. So now it's not a zero sum game <clears throat> and you can start talking to them about, okay, so what, what do you want to change in the world? I mean, what you know, difference do you want to make? And they can learn the whole gamut. I mean, for, for advisors, you know, they can learn how you invest money because you've got this pool of money, you want to invest it so that you can give more away. I mean, so they can go from just the normal financial training, only now it's a, it's a pool of money that is not going to cost them one way or another. So it's, you know, they can be real. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I'm finding with advisors, the more that they can get involved in that, the more they can engage with the next generation. <clears throat> and they have a completely different mindset than their parents do. I mean, yeah. Well, well, Rod, let's triage this. If I'm a wealth manager, which I'm not, but if I was, and I'm looking at my portfolio of clients and I'm, you know, um, my portfolio is aging, how do I connect to that next generation? Because when that transfer happens, that passing happens, you know, what does that look like for me? We all know what the statistics say. They're walking. They're going. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're going. Right. But talking about what are the tools I have to connect to that generation? You know, if you think strategically, like what are all the things I could possibly do to get to know those kids? And so some of it sounds so wonky, like, hey, can I meet your kids? It sounds like, right. what, you know, it, sometimes it's just a awkward, not so sure how to do it. But if the conversation is engaged around, look, let's start focusing on when you're, and this is what I learned at the Heritage Institute, but when your um, children, you know, they need to be prepared for the wealth that you've created, that it's in some ways unfair to just have it happen one day and expect them to be proficient at this. But do you really understand what skills they have? And it goes back to those strengths. So right. unless you are put in a room to see the strengths show up, you don't know how your kids are gonna be able to manage it because you don't know what they're good at. And a, a great example of this is that at one point, my husband and I were both on a board that pals the Young Professionals Board and he became chairman. And I, me watching him in that environment I had a, it was, it changed my perspective of my husband, which sounds so weird that we dated <laughs> seven years and then got married. I mean, it's not a short relationship, but what I saw him, his skills show up that I live with, but never gave credit to is accountability. The guy was such a great leader because we would go through a meeting and, and there were assignments that went out and that guy was on it. Like, calling, text, emails. Did you get it done? Where are we? Checking. That's not my leadership style on any level. I admired it so much because what I watched was the transformation of the organization where he's such a funny and kind and gregarious guy who's got all this energy and no one wanted to let him down. 
Right. And they appreciated the check-ins like, because everybody intends to do all that work when they leave a board meeting, but right. Right. you usually do it the day before the next board meeting. So he kept everybody moving at a really good rate. It's the same thing about a family foundation. If you create the space where you can see your kids showing up, it's a win. And, you know, there's a family that I'm working with right now, super famous dad, uh, five kids that are grown and in their working years. And, um, you know, we always start with doing an interview with each of the family members to find out, you know, how they feel about the foundation, what they want to get out of it, you know, lay the groundwork. And so, you know, when you've been doing this a while, you're a little skeptical, like, oh, there's going to be a knucklehead, you know, there's going to be a knucklehead. And um, I hate to, I mean, we all, I'm saying what everyone says, but all five interviews, I'm like, wow, these are great humans. They're not waiting for dad's check. They're all each individually successful. They're doing it. It was great. And the the reason for our engagement, though, was the dad want, created the foundation to be the gathering place for the family. And uh, the first daughter is another first wife. The other four are the second wife, which is a dynamic that's hard sometimes, too. Right. But this was going to be the touchstone. And so but what was happening is that three of the five kids were doing more work than the others. And it's, you can't avoid that. That's the norm, someone's yeah. a president, <laughs> someone's a treasurer, and someone's a secretary. Right. There's always overweighted tasks, right? And even in this great family where they all uh, respect each other and love each other, there was tension because it felt unfair. And so we, um, step, we came in and we're doing all the back office work for them so that you know I'm drafting the meeting minutes and sending them to the secretary where he wordsmiths it to his language and catches things that maybe I didn't catch, it makes the minutes better. The treasurer, you know, I just set up a whole um, online banking system for her so that we can set up all the grant checks to go out. She can go into the system, look at them once, yes, yes, yes. But again, it's making it better. There's one level where I'm entering it, checking it, she's checking it before these checks go out and we're simplifying. So, but, Dad was astute enough to see that what he intended could be ruined by that, that dynamic. And so we took that dynamic away. But what you could see showing up is the dad sees that when he's gone, those five personalities, that they're going to be working together. And, and, you know, I'm sure the oldest son does think he's the guy, but <laughs> it ain't going to work there. So, um, yeah. You know, so they're they're creating the good habits now through that mechanism of philanthropy and the foundation. Yeah, and and you know, and now those those kids are related not just to mom, to each other and and mom, whichever mom it is, and dad. They're related to you. I mean, that's the whole thing about why people ask me all the time, why do you do this as an advisor? I do this as an advisor. Number one, because I want to see the right things happen with the right people. But number two, selfishly they're clients forever. I mean, they really are. We, you know, there's that book called so much stick here. and that's, you know, it's really true. I remember working with one client and, and his financial advisor and the dad was really philanthropic and they had, they didn't ever have a foundation, but they were giving, you know, because he, he just wrote checks. Right. And so we talked him into doing a foundation and letting the kids have some say in what they were going to do. You don't just tell them this is how we're going to write the checks. And at first he's like, well, they won't get involved and all this stuff. I said, okay, 
that's cool. Don't me worry about that. You know, you worry about, you know, getting it put together. Right. We'll, we'll make it happen. And got him involved. And once, once I realized this was about where do you want, what do you difference you want to make? Not what dad wants to make. What do you want to make? And the first question he said is, well, what if they blow it all? I go, so what if they blow it all? You're giving it to charities. You don't know that they're not going to blow it all. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, right. it's, you're not going to spend it on yourself anyway. And he thought for a second, he goes, yeah, you're right. I said, okay, so let's start there. About the second year, they had a meeting and they went through all the stuff that they were doing. And by this time, the kids were really doing it all. And they were just, they were more reporting than asking, you know. At the end of the meeting, in fact, I think you've seen a video of part of this. At the end of the meeting, um, the dad said, I never knew how competent, how capable my kids were. Yeah. And after the kids, after the camera went off, one of the sons goes, that's because you never gave us a chance. <laughs> you know, we've never had that opportunity. They will never leave that advisor. Well, and and so, and here's the thing. Let's say, what would you have done if they were knuckleheads? You, you know, still, what if they didn't? You know, I mean, you got to help them as far as you can. I mean, you know, the thing is, if, if they're knuckleheads, they were going to blow the money anyway. I mean, this is what... Right. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing you've got a shot at fixing it right? right and so the first layer of that if let's say it's a wealth manager relationship is let's help them with financial literacy literacy yeah you know that's something you can teach or you can you know hire someone to come in and do for the if, if it's too time consuming for you there's people experts that can do that for you or if it's time management there's coaches that you can get or there's you know once you know the playing field and you have the resources to, you know, help enable your children in a great positive way. How fun is that? Right. But you know, there's a there's a, a family here, and I so respect the dad. He's it's kind of you know if you were going to take a model of the running a family and incorporating philanthropy and passing it on to the next generation, he's the guy. And he one of his proudest moments is his son saying to him. You know, Dad, I realized today that I learned parliamentary procedure because of you and our family <laughs> foundation meetings. So I thought that was so sweet. And the dad was so proud of that, that, yeah. that he was the catalyst for his son understanding that skill set. So there's a lot of good that can go on in that space. But it, it goes back to your original question of if you're, if you're an advisor and you are at risk of losing that client potential, in this space, not just a name on your profile as son of, granddaughter of, right. you know who they are and you are at the table with them. And the odds of them leaving you when the um, parents pass are so much less because you, it's your relationship with them too. So you are invited to be with them and now you can develop that relationship even differently than the parents. Well, yeah, one of the things I talk about all the time is the studies tell us all about how many of the inheritors leave their parents' advisors. That doesn't count for you if you're the kids' advisors. I mean, that's only if you're just the parents' advisors. Yeah. If you're the kids' advisors, they're not leaving their parents' advisors. They're keeping their own advisors. So that's, that's a big part of this. So, and that's, and I can think now going back to AIP and, you know, why, where we came from in the first place, that's what I saw at AIP. There was all mm -hmm. the different people that can do this. I mean, there were the, the people, there were the people who were raising money, you know, who had that side of it. There were accountants, there were attorneys, there were financial advisors. There's, 
um, guys that were going out and they were evaluating nonprofits to make sure, right. you know, they're going to make it if you give them this gift, you know, because most nonprofits, they go to the people and say, all we need is money. And that's not always true. You know, and all those people were in the room and everybody was willing to share. And that's, I think that one of the biggest keys to AIP is it's not just attorneys or it's not just whatever. It's all of the people that are involved when you get into some sort of the serious philanthropic gift. And there's a lot of players in that. And so- Well, and we're gonna experiment with something at the conference, which starts on Monday. We can talk (laughs) about a little bit about that later. (laughs) And, but um, we, uh, we're gonna experiment with something in that I'm gonna ask for members at the conference to share with us the COIs, the experts that they use to execute their gifts. Because I, I'm sure you have read documents, Rod, that make you cringe, <laughs> that someone said they could write, right. you know, a, the whatever needed to be um, memorialized. And it didn't, you know, it didn't work out so well because someone used a template or, you know, and I, like, I'm not even judgmental because who's going to say no to business? But the reality is, there are specialists, there are people who really care about this and that geek out on it, you know, where um, I was invited to this event at Stanford and it was all of the top um, philanthropy advisors from all the top big, I was, we were probably the smallest bank there, but just from all the big boys. And it was hilarious because we were geeking out together because we got to be in the same room (laughs) and it's such a small group of humans that do this. And um, so I'm trying to figure out a way so that we could, even if they're members, not members, I don't care, but let's build this database of experts so that w- that those three professionals would have the confidence to hand that work off to someone that in, in, and that they would know that this group of people cares about philanthropy, specializing in it, and could be a resource to you. So that's the next iteration of not just members, but who are the members using? Right. Because are, that, that, that's an amazing validator. If I tell you that I use this attorney because he knows his stuff in this space, then um, you know, I'm gonna trust it more. So for most of the people on, that are listening to this, that's their contact list. For some of us old guys, it's the Rolodex, right? Uh, <laughs> which I haven't seen I'm one not, in decades, but you know. Oh gosh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, but I do remember what it was. So there's that. Um, <laughs> And then uh, describe just real quickly the local chapters. How does how do the chapters work um, around the country? So that will be uh, membership and chapter development is the number two priority for us. And so we currently have chapters in San Francisco, uh, Oregon, um, LA, Orange County, San Diego, DC, Boston. I think I covered all of them. So we're looking for. Uh, energy in, you know, we're looking in the, we've got a, some energy going in the Florida Atlanta area that looks like it's going to bubble up to something, but it really takes us finding about six committed people to start a chapter. So that's uh, one layer of the engagement, but even on the national level, we have webinars that are excellent, that are a great networking tool. And those are how we, often There's, they're not just, they're like, at, at least once a quarter, but there have been more peppered in there. And then the national conference every year. And we're looking for 
engagements like that we partnered with um, one of our goals this year was to be collaborative and the best payoff had been in the works and that's why we made it a goal so we could be successful but uh, Stanford's uh, team at their um, the PAC school the is had created this philanthropy toolkit and the nice part about it is that they actually engaged AIP members in developing it. So we were okay. vetting uh, the content and it was simple things like, you know, they don't use that language, it would sound like this. And, and so the toolkit is an open resource item that's on the Stanford website. It is in module form, so you could use bits and pieces of it and it's excellent. So. When a family sits down and they know they need to do a what would typically be called a mission vision statement, sometimes that is an onerous process that can get bogged down. There are it's a tool that I would I would describe it where we're taking the individual values and then kind of creating this uh, pulling it all together, but creating a almost like a Mad Lib. If okay. you're back in the day, so there's a generation that's not going to know what I'm talking about, but it's stories with a, a, a line here that you insert an adjective or a, a noun or whatever. Super simplified process to get to a value statement that really helps. And so, you know, I've used it with a family that kind of hit this wall in, um, they were saying, well, we think we're doing well, are we? And they were, a, you know, a great family that was organized, giving grants in a really well way, but they just, it's that checking in thing, like, I don't know. And then I said, well, let's, your mission statement, let's revisit it. Is this what you want to be doing? And then I plugged their mission statement into the value statement platform that Stanford has. And I said, if we revisit this in a values context, this is what it would sound like. Does that sound like you, or would you like to work on it? And they said, let's work on it. So we went through the module and I can tell any advisor on this call that, you know, that time burning fear that you have about going into philanthropy, it's real, I'm gonna own it, but this is something that can help, you know, hone it down. The family could do it on their own, they could, but you as an advisor doing it with them is the, you know, that's where it goes back to everything we were just talking about. You're engaged, you're meeting them, you're going through the process together but the tool is excellent and it's free. And then we partnered with them to create some workshops for advisors okay. so that you could get really good at using these tools. And so we have two more um, of those trainings coming up and they'd be on our website, but in um, before the end of the year. And it's a two day training, two and a half hours a day, so it will, we go through the modules and help you understand the why behind the module and then sharing stories about where they're used and just getting your confidence up and using it. And then the second tool I would say out loud is that um, Sylvia Brown has created a tool called the Smarter Donors platform. Okay. And Smarter Donors and um, she, her mission, so she is from the Brown family of like Brown University, her mission is to reach that middle donor, you know, the, the middle-class donor, really the every donor is what she's going after. She doesn't want it just to be about the elite. Mm -hmm. And so the smarter donor platform is a way to educate that mid-level donor and take you through a, um, a process that she's got. So a couple of different tools, but 
you know, that's all, that's what AIP is all about is how do you, so if a client wants you to do something, where are you going to go to find out how to do it and help them? And you don't have to be the expert. And that's a barrier for a lot of people. Right. We can help you find teams that could help you execute. So we don't want you to not do it because you're not the subject matter expert. Well, and that's what holds a lot of people back is, you know, they are the expert at most of the things that they do. And right. if all of a sudden they're stepping into an area that they're not, you know, the expert, they, they're just more comfortable just saying, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. And that's one of the things I loved about AIP too, is, is that it gave me the ability to be around a bunch of people that if it was something I couldn't do, or I didn't know that much about, at least I knew who to call um, and who right. to bring in to, to help me do that. Because yeah, you, one of my clients used to tell me, you can only be an expert at two and a half things. <clears throat> I'm not sure how you're an expert at half a thing. It's but, true. But the point is, yeah. you know, and the clients know it, they know that, that you can't be an expert at everything and they, they appreciate it. Uh, I remember one of my, uh, back in the law days, I had one of my clients and, and uh, he was introducing me to his friend. His friend said, so why do you work with him? And he goes, he's the first lawyer I've ever had that said, when I asked him a question, said, I don't know, but I can find out. He said, I didn't know lawyers could say, I don't know. You know? <laughs> did, it, did it feel like a furball in there? But you did it. Yeah, that's right. So. All right. Well, thank you very much for this. This has been real helpful. And, and I hope that the advisors who are on here can really get some gems from this because philanthropy can be such a powerful tool for, you know, for the practice side of it, for, you know, just from the practical side of it. Yeah. You keep the client and you keep the client it's sticky money because you get to know the family, but from the personal side, you know, the difference that you can make in that family and in the world through that family is amazing. Um, so that's, you know, it, it is truly one of the few things out there that is a win-win for everybody. Um, I, can, I, I can tell you, it'll elevate your life and your profession if you do it. Yeah. And, I, and I can say that because when I partner with wealth managers to help their clients go through this, every single wealth manager says, this is so much fun. You get to do this all the time. I get to do all the time. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks a lot. We will talk to you later. That was fun, Rod. Thank you.